0: Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. I'm your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network. NachumSiegel.com, jm in the dot And welcome back to another Thursday of Political Talk. I'm going to follow up a little bit on last week's show. We're going to have a guest running for governor of the state of New York, Rob Astorino, Republican candidate for governor. We'll be talking to him a little bit later. Uh, we're going to have a reporter from... Bloomberg News writing about the Hasidic community following up a little bit on last week. Hopefully this week we didn't have him last week we're going to have Yossi Gestetner from the Orthodox Jewish Political Affairs Council. And as we are have grown accustomed to the political analysis and acumen of none other than Jacob Kornbluh of JP Updates and Yeshiva World News following all things in New York City, who has a provocative title, the de Blasio's relationship souring with the Jewish community, potentially. So all that coming up on the show. First and foremost, we are sponsored by Beckerman. Beckerman Public Relations, Beckerman Public Affairs, building market leadership and reputation through strategic communications. Tell your story with Beckerman, beckermanpr.com. And uh, that brings us to our first guest here. Uh, on Spin Class this week we have with us on the line Republican gubernatorial candidate in the state of New York current Westchester County executive Rob Astorino who next week possibly or probably i would say at this point uh, Wednesday and or Thursday will be officially nominated at the Republican State Convention held in Westchester uh so Rob Astorino welcome to Spin Class
1: Don't say possibly. You got me nervous there. Well, you never... (laughs)
0: Look, I just got finished saying that uh, anything can happen in politics. Oh, uh, that's
1: true. So, as
0: we well know, there's just all kinds of capacity for self-inflicted wounds, and you've (laughs) managed to be very much a candidate and a county executive who's avoided those, whereas many of your predecessors and colleagues have have fallen into some of those pitfalls.
1: Well, hopefully, you know, as Republicans, uh, we don't want to do a circular firing range. You know, it's best in states especially where there are blue states or purple states, to be unified. And when we're fighting with one another, it means we're weak going into a general election and we're just sort of aiding and abetting our opponents. So this is an opportunity for us in a very unified, cohesive way, which we are, to um, go up against Andrew Cuomo, who is beatable. Uh, His numbers are, are dropping, and they have been for several months now to the point where uh, his job approval is in the mid to low 40s, where half the state thinks we're going in the wrong direction. We're on all the major issues, uh, education, taxes, corruption, unfortunately, um, the economy. Most people in the state, according to the polls, think that under Andrew Cuomo, we've either stayed the same or gotten worse. So we're not getting better under this, uh, this governor. So the paths to win this are there. There's no question about it, especially when... About half the vote for a governor's race comes from upstate New York, where we will do very, very well. And, you know, the battleground effectively is going to come down to the suburbs where it is my strength and my backyard. And uh, and I like where we are to start this race.
0: Okay, so, Rob, people have called you courageous. They've called you other names for taking on this this fight. And I think what what should be... Uh, highlighted to the audience is the fact that Andrew Cuomo has a very formidable war chest yep. that he's sitting on, and you know that is a lot of the currency in politics. Obviously, votes are the most important thing, but money is important. I mean, there's no question that uh, money will scare people away. You're taking on this fight against somebody who is uh, seen as is is not necessarily seen as vulnerable. Maybe certainly wasn't uh, seen as vulnerable a couple months ago, uh, maybe a little more so now. But are any parallels uh, to be drawn from another candidate from Westchester 20 years ago who ran against another Cuomo? Is that, yeah. is that the kind of the path that you, you're looking at, or Rob or Asurino has his own trajectory?
1: I think there are two, two parallels. That gentleman you were talking about 20 years ago, George Pataki, who in 1994 pulled off a, a stunning upset because the timing was right, the issues were right. Uh, he raised enough money to get his message out, and the party was unified. Uh, and he pulled out a huge upstate vote, which is exactly what we need to do. I'll also go back to another guy in 2009, Rob Astorino. And they said the same things about me in 2009, in that it was impossible to win Westchester County, which of our million people, 49% registered voters are Democrats, 24% Republicans. The guy I ran against was a, quote, popular incumbent. He had uh, boatloads of money, name ID, the machine behind him, et cetera, et cetera. But what he didn't have were the ideas. Uh, He he was dragging the county in the wrong direction, just like the state is being dragged in the wrong direction. He, um, you know, the, the timing was right. The issues were right. We raised enough money, and the message was correct, and we won. And so... You know, when I look at the path to victory, they're certainly there this year. There is no question. Out of New York City, I only have to get in the low 30s, 30-something percent, 32 percent or so, to hit our number if the other things go the way we expect them to. So, you know, most people think, well, how could you win New York City? I don't have to. I don't even have to come close. we got to get enough votes out of New York City. And, in, in fact, the New York City vote itself, might be less than it typically is which for me would be a good thing because less Democrats would, would be voting the party line and the upstate vote would become even more part important. So look, you know, when, when people say it's impossible, no way. In fact, now that the U.S. attorney Preet Bharara, has said that the governor and the governor's office is under investigation for potential obstruction uh, of an investigation of um, potentially obstruction of justice And this was to do with the, quote, Moreland Commission that the governor instituted last year to weed out corruption in New York. And only in New York can the Anti-Corruption Commission be corrupted, and that's exactly what's happened. And so he abruptly shut it down after he admittedly extorted the legislature in the budget process to get some things he wanted. The question that the U.S. attorney and really all New Yorkers have is, why did you abruptly shut down this investigation? Where was it leading? Was it leading to your own staff? Was it leading to your own supporters who, you know, may have been involved in pay-to-play? Why were subpoenas quashed? So I think all these are legitimate questions that the U.S. attorney has a right to get an answer, and by extension, all of New Yorkers have a right to know.
0: So you touched on a number of, I think, very uh, tough points. Uh, Certainly a lot of questions Andrew Cuomo will have to answer. But let's talk for a second. Uh, I should disclose I grew up in Westchester, so I have a, I guess, a little bit more than a passing interest in the county that you're, you're now leading. Talk for uh, the audience about your record in Westchester and what you've done there, and why it was unexpected for you to win in the first place, and possibly unexpected for you to win re-election.
1: Well, as I mentioned, Westchester is a pretty deep blue county. We have the, we are the eighth largest Jewish county in America. We have. 22% of our population is Hispanic and growing. We have about 15% African-American, uh, a growing Asian population, Indian-American, you name it. So in many ways, we're a melting pot, and we we really mirror the rest of New York State. In fact, we're the fourth most diverse county in all of New York. So for me, you can't just be a Republican and just go after Republican votes, because first of all, that that's not good government or good politics. You know, you want as many opinions and and, and people assisting you so that you become more well-rounded. The second thing is just pure politics. You need to reach out. You need to build coalitions, and that's what we did. And we won a majority of the Hispanic vote. We won uh, 25% of the black vote. So we forged relationships across the aisle with Democrats. That's how we won big twice. That's how we can win New York. And in the meantime, I, I didn't abandon who I am. You know, we, we got into office. We had a huge deficit. That, that was a gift from my predecessor. And instead of just saying, you know what, we're going to have to raise taxes, we went the opposite way. We said, we're going to hold the line. We're going to cut property taxes. And we've done that or held them firm for four straight years with a fifth coming. We made sure we didn't turn our backs on anyone in need. In fact, we strengthened our social safety net because we weren't wasting money anymore. Our budget today is smaller than it was in real dollars four years ago, and we've made some sacrifices. You know, I have told all of our employees that they need to start paying for some of their health care costs like everyone else in the real world, and I led the way, leading the example by beginning to pay for health care, which was not required, but we passed the law to do so. Uh, And so if we can do it, then it should be expected of others. And the burden cannot solely be on the taxpayers. You know, this, this state of ours in New York, I ask a simple question as I travel around are we winning or are we losing as a state? And really, under every objective standard, New York State is losing and losing badly. We have the highest taxes in the country. We have the highest electricity rates. We have the most outflow of our own residents. 400,000 New Yorkers have fled. New York in the last four years, we have the worst climate, we have the worst economic outlook, we're retiree to retire in. Uh, You go on and on and on, and we're dead last fiftieth in all the wrong categories. So we can do to New York what we did to Westchester, and that's bring that state back to the winning column.
2: And
0: we're talking with Rob Astorino here on Spin Class, Westchester County Executive, Republican nominee or soon-to-be nominee for governor of the state of New York. And, Rob, so I, I would imagine that Andrew Cuomo is your constituent. Uh, he yeah. lives up uh, – he must be pretty happy with the way you've held the line on costs and taxes. Has, <laughs> has, he, has he expressed that to you?
1: But gee, I don't know why he hasn't done that. You know, I'm, uh, I've, we've held the line. We've made it easier. Businesses have responded. You know, before I got here, uh, PepsiCo was ready to leave its world headquarters and move it down to Texas. MasterCard and IBM were also contemplating leaving. Uh, We had businesses folding, and Connecticut was luring everyone away, and we put a stop to that. We, We met with the senior executives of the large corporations here, but also the small businesses along Main Street. And as a result of us bringing stability to taxes, to reducing spending and living within our means, to being a pro-business environment again in Westchester. We're working with our nonprofits, our uh, the Westchester Jewish Council, where we do a lot of work with our nonprofit social service agencies uh, to reduce our own costs. You know, now we've had 30,000 private sector jobs created in Westchester in the last four years, to the point where we're one of the lowest unemployment rates in the state. So business reacted, and we set the stage for businesses to succeed and come here as opposed to being what New York State is now considered the obstacle, you know, the stop sign, the um, the nemesis, if you will, of business. And it shouldn't be that way, but with this regulatory climate and these very high taxes, it's chasing away our businesses. And as a result, population is leaving.
0: Okay, but what about all those ads that I see on CNBC and every place else, a lot of ads talking about New York State being a great place for business?
1: Oh, please, the Startup New York ads?
3: Yes, those. are being
1: paid by taxpayer dollars, really, for a political campaign. You, you, You know, if the governor was so proud of this program, which has been on for about a year and a half, then he should just agree to the request that the press has made, that we have made, and just show us all of the applications received, all of the businesses that have qualified, and all of the new jobs that have been created because of this program. Point is, there are little or none, because here you got the governor picking and choosing winners. So he is saying, you have to be a certain type of industry, high-tech, located only on a piece of property that the state agrees to, which is a SUNY piece of property. And if you need all these qualifications, then maybe you get tax-free for for a period of time. That's not how business reacts. Plus, they're still going to deal with all of the high cost of living, uh, the regulations, etc., they're not coming here to New York from Texas and Florida and the Carolinas, et cetera. That's a joke. But our businesses are fleeing in record numbers to those states that have no income tax, that have a low regular regulatory climate where government is not the obstacle. They're a partner. Uh, and so everyone I talk to laughs about that commercial.
0: Well, th- certainly the way you explain it there. Uh, talk to me for a second about Bruce Berger. And this is a gentleman that somehow came up in the Jewish community as the high, highest-ranking Jew in your administration who was summarily fired. Uh, I don't think most people know much more about that story other than the fact that you know there's something about that. So why did you just explain that for the audience? What happened there and who he was?
1: Look, he was a holdover from the previous administration. Uh, I allowed him to stay for four years. He did a good job. Uh, in fact, you know, this whole thing that he was fired hours before Passover, well, he was he was um, released about five days before, number one. He thanked me and he thanked the previous administration at the public meeting for letting him stay for so long and for being a part of an administration he was proud to work for. And, um, you know, and I'll kind of leave it at that. I mean, it it speaks for itself when I allowed someone to stay. And also, quite frankly, he had a health issue. Uh, and I allowed him to stay much longer, so he could stay on the health insurance. He could have the operation he needed, et cetera. And you know, to, to be treated like this was very unexpected. When we treated him very professionally, um, I have a right to have in my administration who I want and who I feel comfortable with. And um, you know, I'm I'm glad he served in our administration. He was very happy. He said that publicly at the meetings, and uh, and thanked us profusely. Uh, But it was time to make a change, you know, in that spot, just like we make changes uh, constantly. And it was the beginning of a second term, which is natural to make some changes. So I was a little taken aback by the response that he gave, uh, which I can only think was for pure political reasons.
0: Well, it certainly sounds uh, fishy the uh, the, the way you say it. The story actually sounded fishy to me to begin with. You know, knowing, uh, having served in government, knowing the nature of political appointments, nobody really expects well, once they're uh, and, to, to stay on.
1: Exactly. And, Michael, you can, let's connect the dots, too. He was hired by and worked for the previous administration,
2: whose
1: deputy county executive is now the chief of staff to Governor Cuomo. So I think now people can connect the dots on why all this nonsense started.
0: Well, conspiracy theory is abound in politics, uh, Rob, yeah. one last question. I know uh, time is short, and you have a very busy day as usual. Uh, talk for a second just about I know you visited Israel and talk about visiting Israel and your relationship with the jewish community
1: oh uh, it's been a It's been a fantastic relationship i've had in Westchester with the Westchester Jewish Council with the HAC with APAC with uh, the UJA Federation uh, we've really had a wonderful wonderful four years plus now and I did go with the JCRC uh, to Israel on a mission about uh, two years ago. My wife came with me. It was an unbelievable trip where it was seven days of jam-packed. But we went to an Air Force base. We went to the Golan Heights. Uh, you really get an appreciation for how surrounded Israel is by people who would rather not see Israel exist. Uh, but we were in Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, and we stayed in the Old City. We went down to Masada. We went to the Dead Sea. Uh we met with uh Arabs and uh and Israelis alike. We went to uh Bethlehem and uh the Gaza Strip. We went to Sterot, which was just amazing to to understand that right on the border there, every day rockets are coming into this this village and people live that way, you know, and the thing that struck me the most is whether you're in Haifa and you see the high-tech or whether you're in a, uh, a kibbutz, people, um, they, they're not consumed by what could be, because it's always hanging over their head, what could be. Uh, and they go along with their daily lives, uh, and it's one of the most successful state countries uh, ever, you know, in what they can accomplish and what they have accomplished. So I've had an amazing relationship with our Jewish community, one that I look forward to even strengthening more, and i am going back to Israel.
0: Okay, Rob Astorino, Westchester County Executive, soon-to-be Republican nominee for governor of the state of New York, and it promises to be a very interesting race uh, coming up in November. Thanks for joining us here on Spin Class. Thank you, Michael. And this is Spin Class, and uh, we are going to do a little follow-up segment uh, from last week. Uh, not a direct follow-up, uh, but we are going to be uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about the state of Orthodox political growth or Orthodox growth in the suburbs, and how that is particularly the Hudson Valley, particularly Orange, Rockland, and Sullivan. And we have joining us uh, Freeman Kloppot. Uh, hopefully, I got that right uh, from uh, Bloomberg News, who's writing a article about the subject. This week in Bloomberg, Freeman, thanks for joining us here on Spin Class. Thanks for having me. Did I get the last name right? I hope I didn't butcher that for uh, you. Pretty
3: close. Okay. Po- too long as we go with, but you know.
0: Okay, so you, uh, you report out of Albany for, uh, for Bloomberg, and, uh, and what attracted you to this story specifically with regard to political tensions between the Orthodox community and their neighbors in New York State?
3: Well, uh you're really talking about uh, a large number of votes at stake uh, in uh, in a year where uh there's uh it's a high profile election year. You've got the governor running for election and the entire legislature, the state attorney general, the comptroller, it's uh, it's as big as it gets uh in the state for an election year. And you have uh thousands and thousands of votes uh at stake uh, in these fights and they're looking for gubernatorial candidates in particular to to land on one side of the, the disputes or the other
0: uh, so that's the angle here that we're looking at we're saying okay these are this is statewide ramifications absolutely uh, okay so wh- what did you find out what did you get into as far as uh, you know the tension uh is this something that is has a potential solution from politicians or it's something that's just going to continue to fester
3: uh, there, there probably is, uh, some solution. What the solution is, I couldn't tell you, and the, the, the folks, uh, uh, on the ground, on either side, as far as I can tell, don't necessarily know what it is either. Uh, but they are looking for leadership, uh, in their politicians to seek out a solution from people who might be able to, uh, think tanks, whoever they need to draw in, uh, to these debates, which largely center around Really around public education uh, and some of and, and development as well um, but uh, these are these are issues that you see percolating even uh, when it and when there's not a, re- a religious group at stake it's, it's some of it just has to do with development in the suburbs and how that's going to go um, and and the, there's certainly a role for pol- politicians to play in all that
0: so which areas did you profile?
3: Uh, we were looking at um, East Ramapo and uh, uh, the town of Monroe and Curious Joel. They're they kind of well, town of Curious Joel is in the town of Monroe and uh, Bloomingburg as well.
0: Okay, and w- what was the, I guess the scope there? Uh, you know, there's all they're all different dynamics of of the three. Uh, you know, uh, East Ramapo. You know, for for the listeners out there, it's a you know school district as opposed to a municipality. Uh, You know, that's Muncie, New Square, uh, those areas. More diverse group of Jews as opposed to Kirish Joel. Um, Kirish Joel being very monolithic, uh, also being a single village as opposed to the East Ramapo, you know, Ramapo area, maybe made up of of two Hasidic villages uh, and non-village areas. Uh, So there's different, you know, politics there. And Bloomberg, it's really, uh, and we've talked about it on this show, there is... You know, there really isn't a, yet a fully-fledged Hasidic community. There are Hasidic Jews living there, but it's not, you know, by any stretch, uh, any uh, Hasidic political entity in, in Bloomberg currently. So it, is it just the, is the, is the threat of the fact that uh, Hasidic Jews might move somewhere uh, enough to warrant a, 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 this kind of wholesale reaction?
3: Um, well it seems to be creating it at the very least. Certainly you see that, in, that just that threat, that possibility, uh, that's taking place in, uh, Bloomingburg. There, the, there's folks, uh, in that, uh, that's the Pine Bush School District. And there's folks just based on the, the possibility alone, uh, calling for changes in the way school board members are elected as they look at, uh, East Ramapho and, and wonder how the, from from in their words how they can stop uh, that from happening in in their own uh school district. So it kind of flows together in a way through the schools, certainly um when you look at it and through that lens.
0: So which politicians are willing to speak out? I mean which uh, elected officials, public officials, other people from outside the community were willing to to you know take this on and comment for you and say to you, hey, there's an issue here. You know, this is how we feel
3: <laughs> Anyone? (laughs) No, no one. No one? Uh, So far, I haven't heard back from the governor yet. He he may say something, I'm told, uh, uh, some sort of statement that may come my way later today, but uh, mostly uh, silence. So we
0: have this. Burning political issue in New York State, and no, nobody up and down the food chain. Or you really only went to the top of the food chain? I
3: went to the top because that's where where my story is angled. Obviously, I'm a, a, a state house reporter, so that's what you know. That's that's where my coverage centers. Uh, so that's that's what we were looking at.
0: Very interesting. We're this is Spin Class, and we talked to Freeman Kloppert here from the Albany bureau. Of Bloomberg News, who is writing this week about the dynamic or the conflict or whatever you want to call it between uh, Hasidic Jews and their neighbors in the Hudson Valley, as we had discussed in depth last week. And we're, you know, when you approach this story, Freeman, when you, you're, you're you're looking at this and you're saying you're scratching your head, how, how do you make heads or tails? You know, as an Albany reporter, you know, not as a person who's been on the local, and I maybe maybe I'm getting this you know, wrong, but not not you know fully examining your background. But how, do you kind of just scratch your head about this? You know, do you just say only in America, or uh, or you know where you know, how do you, how do you approach this kind of story?
3: Well, for me. Um... Yeah, I, I've this is this is the third job I've had in journalism. I actually started out as a as a local reporter in the uh, city of Keene, New Hampshire, uh, covering actually some very small towns just outside of it. If you can imagine the suburbs of Keene, New Hampshire.
0: Ah, Keene uh, is the home of the University of New Hampshire.
3: Is that correct? Uh, there's a there's uh there's a state school there. State yeah. school.
0: Okay, there is a okay. I, I just know from presidential elections, Keene always comes up, It right? always comes
3: up. There you go. Yeah. Okay. yeah, they all go through there every every four years. Um, and uh, yeah, I've covered, uh, in, in that role, I covered a lot of things like planning board, zoning board meetings. And you see these kind of things come up often. One of the things I covered there actually was um, a uh, Catholic, uh, very traditional Catholic group that lived in a small town that was looking to expand, and it became a zoning board issue. And you, you had the similar kind of backlash, even in this tiny little town in basically the middle of nowhere. Um, and so it's something that I, I've seen and, and have become accustomed to through my career. Uh, I kind of bring that to the table. When I look at these issues, I kind of have that understanding going in of just how these things come about and the, the,
2: the,
3: the, the basic level of politics that are involved. It's very local stuff. But you can see how as these things fester, uh, if they're left to fester, they can really percolate up and, and start showing up in, in larger political scenes.
0: You know, one thing I, I mentioned on the show last week and I, I said to others is that, and, and I know the neighborhood a little bit because uh, my grandparents uh, lived there for many years. My my father grew up there uh, right in Spring Valley, right at the border of Spring Valley and Muncie, is that you know, the neighborhood has changed not just – because it's become a lot more Jewish and a lot more Orthodox, it was pretty Jewish back then. Uh, but it's also first-generation immigrants, mm-hmm. and you don't you have a, a Haitian population, a Latino population uh, that didn't exist beforehand. Many people who are not English speakers, certainly not native English speakers, and in general, the suburbs were not really made to handle these types of populations. The, the progression has always been that the immigrants move to the cities and then they make it and they move to you know, maybe different neighborhoods within the city. And then third generation, they move out to the suburbs.
3: Yep, and You see that a lot, especially in the New York City area, because of the cost of living in the city. It's not the case in all urban areas. A lot of upstate uh, New York urban areas you see just the opposite because it's so much cheaper to live in the city than the suburbs. But it's a particular issue in, in the more expensive urban areas like New York City because they can't afford to live there. And so it, it's it is in a way there's a there's a universality to a story like this, uh that applies not just to New York, but places probably I'm guessing here a little bit but like San Francisco, maybe Chicago, um, where the price of living in the city is high and it pushes Different types of people who hadn't traditionally lived in the suburbs out, and so there's there's a universality to to the core of the issues here. So, is,
0: are, is it unfair then to single out Orthodox Jews or Hasidic Jews in in this manner, or is there a dynamic to this that's different than any other?
3: There is a, somewhat of a dynamic that makes it a little bit different um, in the in the way that. Uh, the Hasidic community votes. Um, it's, uh, it's, uh, there's, they, they fall in line with what leadership typically tells them to vote for. They vote in large numbers, and so that creates uh, a natural political aspect to this that might miss, be missing from some of the other groups, that especially immigrant groups, uh, new immigrant groups, that uh, don't have that type of cohesion yet. They haven't developed the political attitude to. Um, to 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 know how to work the system to get that the attention uh, that the Hasidic communities have been able to get over the years. So that kind of changes it a little bit because naturally, if you can vote together and you've shown and proven that you can, you you have a little more political power.
0: Very interesting, Freeman Kloppot from Bloomberg News, the Albany bureau, writing this week about the tension between Hasidic Jews and their neighbors in Curious Joel, town, town of Monroe, uh, East Ramapo, town of Ramapo, as well as in Bloomingburg in the town of Mamakating in Sullivan County. Thanks for joining us here on Spin Class, Freeman. Thanks very much. And this is Spin Class. I want to bring in one of those Orthodox Jewish Hasidic political voices, uh, one who's very active uh, within the Hasidic community uh, at large, but specifically within the Muncie area. Yossi Gestetner is a PR maven and a frequent uh, commentator and writer about issues affecting the Orthodox Jewish community. Yossi, welcome back to SPIN Class.
4: Yeah, hi. Thanks for having me.
0: So, Yossi, you are uh, reacting to a lot of the... Or being proactive, I think it's actually a better word to a lot of the to the climate going on out there by trying to to forming a group. Uh, actually, formed it a while ago, the Orthodox Jewish Political uh, Affairs Public Affairs Council, and you're running some ads to try and educate people out there about the facts regarding the East Ramapo School District and elsewhere. So tell us a little bit about what you are doing in that regard.
4: Yeah, sure. Um, OJPAC.org, the Orthodox Jewish Public Affairs Council, was formed uh, a little bit more than a year ago. The mission of this organization is to help enhance the standing of the Orthodox Jewish community in the eyes of the secular world and in the media. And this is a proactive effort which works both ways. In other words, last year we had a uh, seminar which basically explained to mostly young Hasidic men a lot of stuff about secular life in the secular community um... in other words there are people out the uh, people in our community who are within this community for a long while and when they grow older and they start doing work they go out there they have misunderstandings or misconceptions and they need to be informed or educated about it and this is one of the stuff that we have done uh, on the other hand we also try to work with journalists, elected officials will try to have better understanding of the community. So when they report on a story uh which is not associated to a specific thing, OJPEC will try to step up and provide contacts and information. Um meaning if it's not associated to a specific thing is if there's an organization that has a public relations problem, or orth- the Orthodox Jewish Public Affairs Council is not gonna step in and be their PR company. They need to hire PR counsel and work with media and and other tools to try to take care of the problem. But when it comes to more broader issues, such as we had last year, the Seven Stores in Williamsburg, which we saw it as a broader attack on on the Orthodox way of life, we stepped up with a radio ad whose message was pretty much later repeated in editorials by the New York Post on the Daily News illustrating that these ads are, these uh, signs are perfectly legal um, and very similar to the signs that you see in other places. And indeed um, the case went to a settlement where for whatever reason the lawyers decided that they're going to accept uh, the demand from the city that the signs can can continue to stay but with a certain change. So fast forward now to the East Ramapo situation. Um, we have a situation which affects thousands and thousands of people in in the community because uh, of the funding problem, among others, and it affects the community uh, in the key part because the public school students are suffering. So we are trying to get information out there that will help understand that will help people uh, downstate and in Albany understand the situation. We are trying to get information out there that will actually make a difference and ultimately help the 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 relationships between the Jewish community and the local non-Jewish neighbors.
0: So a couple of things I want to follow up on in there, and I think that what you're doing is sorely needed. But uh, let's just start for a second with regard to the PR aspect here and do we do we feel is it your contention that a lot of this can be solved that all this is a lot of misunderstanding on the part of either side and it can be solved with better explanation or with a better understanding of the nature of the hasidic community
4: there are uh, you know it depends which issue and it depends which as- aspect of an issue good point but but um having um positive information, accurate information out there can help um, people on both sides, at least those who want to work with each other, those who are out there who want to have, you know, want to live in and, 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 and peace with their neighbors and don't want to be busy fighting, but they have, some, some people have legitimate concerns. So if we as a community are out there providing this information, positive information, it can help. So the, today we have we released OJF released a web ad, a minute-long uh, web ad, which encourages uh, people to, to to join the efforts of the community united for formula change, and to urge Albany that they should change the formula of state education allocate, uh, funding allocation that will help uh, largely the the people in the public school system, uh, and we as a community because those public school children are. The children of our neighbors, they are the people that uh, walk alongside us in the morning and the evening. They they shop at the same mall. They are the people who 10, 15 years down the road, we we will do business with them, cross-community business, cross-community non-profit activities. We want to make sure, we as a community want to make sure that our children, be it in our community where we have the private schools or be it uh, neighbors who uh, who largely go to the public school system, that they get the rights, Education, which is ultimately a help uh, for our community, because we will have more productive uh, citizens, and this is good to you know, this is good for um, you know, residential life to keep crime low. It's good for business. It's good for non-profit activity, political activity. Ten, fifteen years down the road when those children grow up, and the problem until now was, I think, that uh, a lot of a lot of misinformation, or a lot of misdirected effort was in this process. So instead of, you know, until now, a lot of effort and energy has been people being at each other's necks, fighting back and forth and arguing instead of saying, whoa, 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 whoa. A large part of the problem that we have here can be solved if Albany steps up and Albany does the right thing. So let us unite as communities and focus our effort and energy towards Albany and those who have, you know, good motives uh, to help the children in the public school system, um, if, if their motive is really to help the children, they will, they will try to focus on where we can work together rather than trying to steer the, the, steer the conversation and the debate in a negative direction.
0: This is Spin Class, and we're talking to Yossi Gestetner. Uh, of the Orthodox Jewish Public Affairs Council, OJPAC, a group that's been formed to fight misinformation with regard to the Hasidic community as well as advocate on behalf of the Hasidic community. And we're talking more specifically about the situation in the East Ramapo Post School District. And Yossi, what about the contention that the Orthodox community... Always votes against the budget. So they always vote against the school budget. For years, they've always voted against it. They don't want to spend more money. They don't want higher taxes. Understandable. I don't think anybody actually really wants higher taxes. But in the, in the end, when it comes down to it, then they're, they're not, you know, they're not partic- They don't have the same interests as people who send their public, their children to public schools who want more and more and more programs.
4: Okay, this is the issue that I, that I touched on a couple of moments ago. The the, the the children at issue here, or being debated here, are not living in, I don't know, in Siberia. They're not somewhere in, I don't know, down south, somewhere in South America. The the, the children that we're talking about are the children of our neighbors. They live in our neighborhoods, they walk our streets, uh, they shop with us at, at malls, and they do business with us when they grow up. We as a community want to have um, the, the children of our neighbors and our own children, educated and best behaved as possible. So, so to say that um, our community would not care about the education of our next door neighbors is is completely crazy.
0: Well, I wasn't now, suggesting now, that, now, but now, everything. Now, hold, now. hold on for, for a second.
4: No, but everything... hold on. Everything is on balance, class, right?
0: Everything is on balance, right? you have taxes? You have costs. You know, the costs go, you pay for education with taxes. That's all I was saying, is that, on balance, that might be the case. I wasn't suggesting that people don't care about the education, but I, I, but you're making, but you're making a some good point. People
4: out there are suggesting this.
0: Okay, you're making, I, I, I agree with your point. It's, the answer is correct. I just wanted to talk about the taxes aspect of it, okay. but you, but you okay, answered, going but back you answered to the, it.
4: Going back to the tax issue, going back to the tax issue, if this district, if the formula would have served this district as it serves most districts in the state, um, we would see in these general budget 15 or $20 million more from the state than what we have in the last couple of years.
0: That's a lot it, of money.
4: It's a lot of money, which probably <laughs> would restore every program and every project that was cut from the public school system the last couple of years. And therefore, even if you want to increase tax every year, but as the community grows more and more, the, and 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 the, and 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 the community expands, and the property value increases, and the percentage of public school children in this district decreases, the state will continue to see this place as a rich district because of the faulty system. So right. you can try to tax people to death. and here in Rockland county, we have one of the large, the highest tax rates in the country, not in New York, in the country. If you own a and ho- uh, a house in Rockland county, you're paying one of the, the, the largest property tax bills throughout the United States. So obviously your solution is not um jacking up school taxes every year another ten percent. Your solution needs to be where there is the bigger part that does not see the district for what it is. And this is the effort that um the Communities United for Formula Change, which is from the Jewish community, not Jewish community alike, who um, are trying to direct and focus all effort and energy, and uh, to Albany, that they should step up and try to take care of the problem. So Yossi,
0: there was a group of rabbis or rabbi of Orthodox rabbis who campaigned or joined with those calling. Uh, I'm not sure for the for a state takeover of the district. Uh, you know what is is it that the Orthodox community is divided, or you know, who who are they and you know, what is it that, why, why would you expect that uh, people from the Orthodox community would call for that state takeover?
4: Uh, first of all, um, the Orthodox community does not think uh, as a machine. It is a community of thousands upon thousands of people, uh, hundreds and hundreds of uh, rabbis, thousands and thousands of activists. So to see some diverse opinion, you know, is not a strange, strange thing. It is actually a healthy thing. But the, sometimes you have people who don't even live in this community, they live in the Bronx, and they decide to come in to a, a neighborhood and, and, you know, and try to get involved. The people who live in other places, they try to get, get involved. So and, and, and some people who try to get involved recently, um, the more they write, the more they tweet, the more it becomes clear that they don't have a simple understanding as to how uh, state uh, funding allocation works. So, to your question, you know if there are some people, the Orthodox community counts in the hundreds of thousands, and there are many ordained rabbis who have no have no congregation, they have no serious organization um and they have some extra time on their hand, and they try to come in and try to you know be community activists, which at times may be a disservice for the bigger cause. So, you know, I. I uh, excellent.
0: No. An excellent point. And, uh, Yassi, yes. last question for you. We're talking to Yassi Gestetner here on Spin Class. Uh, our previous guest from Bloomberg News said that he believes that these issues are going to going to be, uh, issues in the governor's race this year, meaning issues of, of these fault lines between suburban communities and Hasidic Jews in these areas. Uh, is that, uh, something you would agree with or? You think he's overblowing this uh, this issue?
4: Put it this way: I would agree with him this much that these issues are becoming uh, more from local to more regional, and obviously, people in Albany are, close and, are following closely uh, what is going on. So, I would say this is a statewide issue. No, but obviously, you know, operatives, elected officials, staffers, reporters, and journalists who sit in Albany, all of them follow exactly what is, going on, uh, what, what is going on here. So to say if it will be a, a issue in the government's race, I, uh, I, it may be a little bit of a stretch, but I do agree that this issue is beyond just a local issue in Rockland or in Westchester. These, these issues are, are certainly getting more and more uh, attention as the months and years move by.
0: Okay, Yossi Gestetner, O.J. Pack, Orthodox Jewish Public Affairs Council, thanks for joining us here. Really appreciate your time and your insight. Amen. Thank you. This is Spin Class. We're sponsored by Beckerman, BeckermanPR.com, and we are pleased to have back Jacob Cornblue, City Hall Beat Reporter for various uh, Jewish uh, news outlets, uh, who is out with a very interesting disc- uh, item this week. Uh, that uh, discusses that the honeymoon may be over for Mayor Bill de Blasio and some in the Jewish community. Jacob, thanks for coming back.
2: Always a pleasure to be on your show, Michael.
0: Always a pleasure to have you, Jacob. So tell us what's going on. Uh, you You always have your ear to the ground, but I have to say I read your item, and it seems that nobody was willing to go on the record saying that de Blasio's honeymoon is over.
2: Uh... I can confirm that because of the numerous interviews I uh, have not done suggesting it wasn't
0: well sourced. I'm just suggesting that uh, yeah. people are uh, f-
2: are uh, afraid to come forward. People, you know, heads of organizations, and we're talking—we're not talking about specific organizations. This is a diverse, a broad uh, range of organizations. Uh, usually, uh, uh, are afraid to go on record uh, out of retaliation. I mean uh the mayor's office is a little more powerful than than myself and others and if you go on the record and you just complain about uh the mayor not being attuned to certain issues in the community uh while you know it, it's it's still a relatively uh a short period it's four months it's not four years we're not talking about his re-election He doesn't have an opponent yet. He doesn't have a primary. So we're not talking about uh, people willing to go on the record in order uh, either to punish the mayor or to call him out. They're just expressing their frustration in the new administration that promised to be more transparent, to be uh, uh, more open uh, uh, to to certain communities. And uh, um, out of concern, they are expressing their frustration that while The labor contracts that wasn't resolved since 2009 were resolved in a split second. I mean, uh, four months for such a substantive uh, contract is a short period of time. And then you look ahead at the pre-K fight, which was seen as a long-shot fight in a battle with Governor Cuomo, uh, paid sick leave, and so on, if you go on to the progressive issues. And even today, when the mayor... Uh, presented the executive budget, there are a lot of fundings to certain programs. However, uh, when uh, Mayor de Blasio ran for office and he came to seek uh, the Orthodox Jewish community's vote, there were two issues that he promised, and he's on record. He said it publicly before he was elected and right after he was elected. He said that he will bring forward a resolution on the controversial to the Pay issue, and restore Priority Five and Priority Seven vouchers, which is only 60 million dollars. Uh, if if you if you break it down uh, in comparison to uh, a 74 billion uh, budget for the fiscal year of 2014 and 15, so you know when it comes to these issues, and the mayor is not being specific, the mayor big ongoing uh, negotiations behind the table, but so far, if these people that have these organizations, these people uh, that are uh, waiting for a meeting with the mayor or they even uh, finally sit down with the mayor's office and staff or may may have an open line with the mayor, don't get specific answers, and the issues are not resolved at this, as of this moment. They express their frustration,
0: but they're not seeking retaliation. So you, you met – well, so many things are there to respond to. But number one is you mentioned that organizations like Agudeth Israel can't get a meeting with the mayor. I, I mean they can't get a meeting or, or, or it's way off in the future. They haven't able to meet him yet. Uh, you know, but I will say at the a lot of these same organizations complain they couldn't get meetings with Bloomberg.
2: Uh, well, if you compare uh, Mayor Bloomberg to Mayor Bloomberg, at least Mayor Bloomberg um, had, uh, uh, you know, had some sort of communications until recently. I'm talking about uh, since from 2001 until 2009, but uh, Mayor Bloomberg stopped uh, Priority 5 and Priority 7 in 2010, so it was in the budget until then. Uh, the Matisse Bepays who came up in his third term, and Mayor De Blasio specifically came out to the community, expressed sympathy with the community, and promised that if he gets the community support, he'll pay them back with an open door at City Hall and resolve the issue. At least bring some resolution. So far, the same uh, law that was implemented by the Health Department in the Bloomberg administration is still in effect right now. So if you're talking about um, uh, uh, our goodness Israel uh, seeking uh, a meeting with the mayor, they might not be the most important organization the mayor has to meet with. But I'm talking about the broader Orthodox Jewish community, those small organizations that depend on funding, those parents that pay already high tuition, those special needs that go through such a, uh, 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 a horror until they get certified for certain funding. Those people are expressing their frustrations, and it's not only about a meet-and-greet uh, and a photo-op with some Askunin and community leaders.
0: I, uh, I wouldn't disagree with any of those points. Uh, what I guess it's uh, known that de Blasio has some very high-ranking Orthodox Jews in his administration. That hasn't made it better?
2: Uh he has uh um, probably think is his deputy intergovernmental uh, uh, director, but he is uh serving as a key advisor on policy issues. So so to say that he is the highest ranking member in administration that only deals with the Jewish uh, issues, uh, um, I mean this can be uh, uh uh this shouldn't be attributed to his work because he's doing tremendous work on other fronts too. But if it, 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 it was, the notion was when de Blasio, who represented Boripa, that came as public advocate to every breakfast and every event that first reached out out of all the candidates, despite most of the organizations expressing their willingness to support Bill Thompson in the primary after they supported him in 2009. And de Blasio specifically requested please, I know you don't do this. I know our goodness Israel doesn't uh, endorse before elections, but you should do this to me because I was there. I was talking about all the issues, and I will have an open air because I understand the community. I don't need any liaisons. Uh, some some guy was quoted as saying that the blazer doesn't need the GPS uh, when going around Ballpark, but since he, uh, he was elected mayor, he hasn't been, he hasn't been able to find puts. it. So, you know, it's not about having high-ranking officials associated with you. It's about the policy of the administration. If, 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 if the folks see that the mayor is tackling or at least uh, bringing some sort of resolution to these issues that are hanging and are precious to the Orthodox Jewish community, if it's done by an individual, if it's done by good faith, and it's not done by a specific organization, people will appreciate that, but so far people are not seeing it. And If it is done behind closed doors and these same people are complaining to me that the mayor is not attuned to the issues, then we have another problem, which is our community playing double-faced. And that is something that should um, become public if indeed the mayor is doing certain uh, stuff behind the scenes to resolve these issues but the public is not notified about it.
0: Okay, Jacob Kornblue, City Hall beat reporter for and just regular political reporter all over New York. Thanks for joining us here once again on Spin Class.
2: Always a pleasure, Michael.
0: So just to wrap up the show, a couple highlights here from the political world. And one thing is now we talked about the statewide races and there are three statewide races, controller, Attorney General, And governor, talked about the governor's race. And now we have the attorney general's race, Eric Schneiderman looking like versus John Cahill. And the controller's race, which is Tom DiNapoli, the current controller, is now going to be challenged by Onondaga County controller Bob Antonacci. And what's interesting about this race is that this is the first one for public financing of campaigns. We have public financing here in New York City. But now we're going to have statewide public financing. So that's right. You and me and all of us living in New York, uh those that are living in New York or pay taxes in New York, are going to be paying for the campaign of Bob Antonacci, uh, who is running for controller against Tom DiNapoli. And just everybody should be cautioned because I don't know why everybody wants public financing. Because yesterday, just yesterday, we had a city councilman, Ruben Wills, who been, was arrested and indicted for – using campaign funds that he got through public matching funds for the New York City Council program to buy stuff, to buy goods and services at Nordstrom and elsewhere. And should give you pause out there. Uh, he's not quite our knucklehead of the week yet, but I will tell you, if you really want to talk about creating public corruption, in my mind, give politicians free money and let them run with it. And that brings us to kind of a great... Little, uh, little clip that we have out there, which is courtesy of David Letterman and Worldwide Pants, but was actually in the, it was edited by them, but it is an actual debate from the New York State Senate over the, what will be the official New York State snack. And listen right here.
1: This bill would designate yogurt as
0: the official state snack. What exactly are we defining as a snack? You have breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and then you have snacks. Did you consider, uh, say, the potato chip? No. Cheesecake? Well, the cheesecake, I thought more of a dessert. Raisins? No. Cashews? No, I, I would never do that. Pretzels? Never. What if, for you, Mr. President, if this pretzel was dipped in yogurt? Yogurt
1: would be the state snack. The pretzel would not. Can we consider the
0: carrot cookie?
1: Bells pass, Senator Limous. And lastly, let me talk about the state muffin.
0: Okay, that's right. You heard it here. New York State Senate spent 50 minutes. That's 50 minutes. Those were the highlights that you just heard on Tuesday, debating Senator Rasenhofer's, Michael Rasenhofer's bill about whether to designate yogurt as a New York State snack. Now, I know yogurt is very popular Chobani is from upstate New York, and there's no question that this is an important thing for the economy of the state of New York. But, but that's not something that I'm proud of as a New Yorker. So, folks, I got to tell you, it's it's shocking. One more political highlight, you know, actually two more. Then we'll get there. Is uh, you know, a r- local race. We talked about it. Harvey Weisenberg retiring. Uh, my current assemblyman, it's going might be a little free for all out there. We don't know exactly who's gonna be. But one thing that did catch my eye is a gentleman from Long Beach, a Todd Kaminsky, former federal prosecutor. In fact, he just became former last week. He resigned one day after announcing the arrest and, uh, and indictment, or the indictment of Michael Grimm, Congressman Michael Grimm. The next day he was running for assembly. And he's raised 8500 a $1,000 already in those 10 days, $8,500 a day. So I'm trying to figure out, the guy was not tipped off just that day. He just decided all of a sudden that he was had all these people who were ready to donate to him lined up, ready to give him money. Uh, okay. I mean, and the only reason I mention this is because it is legally prohibited for a federal employee, particularly a prosecutor, particularly a U.S. attorney, to go ahead and solic- solicit funds. And now to get to my actual knucklehead of the week, uh, that really is going to go to the National Republican Campaign Committee. I fully support the fact that Republicans are having a committee to investigate Benghazi because I don't think the questions have been answered. And what I mean is the fact that it seems that the White House tried to say it wasn't terrorism when, a very, when it, clearly they knew that it was, or at least they had suspicions that it was, meaning the killing of four Americans, including the ambassador. Just shocking, and I think we should get to the bottom of this. We owe it to them to get to the bottom of this. However, the National Republican Campaign Committee should not be fundraising on this issue. I mean, it's a good issue for, for people to, you know, politically, because it highlights things. But don't go ahead and say, if you give $50 or $200, you can be a Benghazi watcher. Yes, that's right. For $250, you can be a Benghazi watchdog. So, I don't know. To me, that crosses the line, and that is going to get the knucklehead of the week award. Thanks for joining us here on Spin Class. Hope to have you again next week here on the Nachum Siegel Network, JM jmintheam.org. Thank